Welcome to the Librarian Influencers Podcast. Each week, our host, Dr. Laura Shinneman, dives deep into school library topics to help you build your skills and take charge of your own professional development. Her mission is to create an environment where librarians flourish and become lifelong learners. Now, on to today's podcast. I'd like to welcome Dr. Barbara Stripling to the Librarian Influencers Podcast. Uh, so if you wouldn't mind, go ahead and tell us a little bit about your background uh, working with school libraries. I know it's been very varied and, and has covered many years, but give us a rundown of it, please. Yes, it's been my pleasure to have a career in libraries. It's so wonderful to actually have a career in something you love. Mm -hmm. So I was a K-12 librarian, mostly at the high school level for about 20 years. Uh And then I became a library grant administrator in Tennessee. My, My Building level experience was in Arkansas. Then I moved to Tennessee and um, was administrator for a library power grant in Chattanooga. I moved back to Arkansas as the district uh, supervisor of libraries and curriculum. And I was there for four years. And then I got uh, the opportunity and and life-changing event of being able to go to New York City where I worked for a public ed foundation for a couple of years as a grant administrator and then uh, had the pleasure of becoming the director of the Office of Library Services in New York City. Wow. And it was a wonderful opportunity. Um, After seven years at that, I during that time, I actually got my doctorate, and then I was um, recruited by Syracuse to become a professor of practice, mm-hmm. and I was a library educator for a number of years in Syracuse. I've since retired, quote unquote, yeah. um, but uh, every piece of my experience was a learning opportunity and it's been very robust and very fulfilling. Okay, that's awesome. Great story, such a, a variety of, of opportunities that you've had. Um, my, most of my listening audience are early career librarians, you know, just starting out. And um, I think they love to hear stories from people so that they know it's gonna be okay. <laughs> you know, they're, they're going to make it, it's going to smooth out. But um, what, what can you tell us about your earliest years in the library? Something that you remember from that time. Well, one of my funniest early memories is um, starting in the library. I had been a classroom teacher before, so I wasn't entirely new to teaching, but I was new to the library environment. And one of the first things I noticed was that my students, they wanted to be successful. I was at that point a high school librarian, but what they really wanted to do was to just copy. They didn't, they wanted to just copy down information and turn in reports and be happy and do well. And I started puzzling over, I know that these kids can think, what can I do to help them? Um, And so I, I, rather than being frustrated, I decided to name the syndrome that I saw, and I called it the brown um, bear is brown syndrome. And what it 
really, it was taken from real life. My students would come into the library and they had to do a research project. So they automatically picked something they already knew about. Well, I already know about the bear. Mm-hmm. And then they would go for an overview. And at that time we had uh, physical encyclopedias mm-hmm. and they'd pull off the B volume. Yes, But it wasn't for bear. It was um, just wasn't for brown bear or it wasn't anything about bears really. They just kind of thumbed through and thought maybe the B volume would work. <laughs> and they would finally find an article on bear and they knew they had to do the brown bear. Uh, so they finally found a passage on it and they just started copying. The brown bear is brown. <laughs> and it, it just came, it became part of a, a humbling and a recognition that every kid is himself. Yeah. And every kid has reasons for doing what he wants to do and that I could actually have an influence on inspiring my kids to do more mm-hmm. than just a brown bear is brown report. Mm-hmm. And it really gave me a lift as a first year librarian. I knew I couldn't reach every kid in the school, but if I could take one kid and help him get excited about doing some real inquiry, some real research, then I will feel good. And I think that's the best thing that I learned as an early librarian is I needed not to try to change everything Mm -hmm. that I saw. I needed to be focused on students. I needed to be focused on individual students. And I needed to uh, recognize that each one of my students had his own motivations, his own strengths, his own um, passions and interests. And that was the way I could connect with them. Beautiful, love it. And I know that inquiry has stayed with you all these years. So that's been a- <laughs> Yes, that's <laughs> my passion. <laughs> yes, for sure. All right, so when you're thinking back, um, is there any kind of advice that you would tell your younger self? Well, I- you know, one thing that I discovered is that um, when I was trying to work with teachers and develop collaborations, open-ended invitations didn't work very well, nor did it work very well to tell kids, you need to think. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I needed to develop were um, examples or possibilities or frameworks or documents or a sample unit that I might do with the teacher and go to the students and to the teachers with something they could react to rather than avoid where it's just too overwhelming mm-hmm. for people to respond. And so if you, I learned not to just issue an open invitation to all teachers to collaborate. But I discovered, for example, that biology students, the teachers expected them to be able to take notes. And nobody had ever taught them how to take notes. And these kids had no idea. So I went to the biology teachers, the whole team, and I said, 
I'll teach them how to take notes so that they can use that for their biology class. It was a perfect collaboration and it fulfilled everybody's needs and the students were grateful, the teachers were grateful and I had something substantive to teach. Yeah, that's great. That's a very good example. Yeah, yeah. because so often when you go and say, how can I help you? Well, they don't even really know what you do. Exactly. That's smart to come in, you know, to be observant and come in with what you think might help. Very good. I want to say one other thing, um, and that is uh, I also had to learn how to work with administrators. Uh, Sometimes that's trickier because I'm I'm not. I wasn't one at that point, and it was hard for me to see things from their point of view. But one thing that I discovered early on was to figure out what the principal, primarily principal rather than assistant principals, Mm -hmm. what were the priorities of that principal? Yes. And then I figured out exactly what I could do in the library to fulfill that priority or those priorities. And then when I went to the principal, I said, look, I'm going to do these things and you are going to be a hero. (laughs) And it really helped open the doors uh, right from the beginning. That's awesome. Very good advice with that. Awesome. Okay. All right. So I I use the word influence kind of broadly. Um, Some people will think of like beauty influencers or fashion influencers, but I don't mean it like that. I, I use it in trying to describe how school librarians have a big impact, you know, on their campuses. Um, so I call that influence. You know, you're a school librarian, you are an influence on your campus. So how would you kind of describe what that influence is like or what's possible? Well, I think it all rests on the willingness of the librarian to take a leadership role. Okay. And when I talk about leadership, it's leadership from the middle. Mm-hmm. So it's not putting yourself above anybody in the school, but it's building teams okay. and having solid plans and solid things to offer. One of the first things that, well, I don't know first, I don't know the timing, but one of the things that I did to um, make sure that I was able to teach the kinds of skills that our students needed in collaboration with content teachers was to work with different departments and say, all right, what are the priority skills? And here's here's my plan for how I could help you deliver it. Now let's talk about this and we can change the plan, but I went to them with an idea of those priority skills that we might teach through English or science or social studies. Mm-hmm. And, um, and what it became was a school-wide effort that I was facilitating. And that was my way of, of leader, of yes, leading. leading. Yeah. But I also, um, I think an important part of influencing is to have a firm stance of yourself, to have agency of yourself as a librarian. Mm -hmm. I get very frustrated when I encounter librarians who say, well, I would like to collaborate, but nobody will collaborate with me. Well, no. It's your job. It's your job to teach 
the students and to figure out whatever type of collaboration is going to get you into those classrooms, into that curriculum, and teaching all of those students. Um, sometimes it requires real thoughtful strategic planning, but always you have your vision and your knowledge and your competency in your pocket and ready, and you don't um, compromise mm -hmm. on that. My vision has always been student-centered, and I have always regarded the role of the librarian is to empower students to be independent, thoughtful learners. Mm -hmm. When you bring that vision and it's solidly behind every decision that you make, every collaboration that you form, that's an influence. Mm -hmm. It's not just uh, working toward a, the social studies curriculum, but it's bringing that set of skills into the social studies curriculum, which empowers all kids. Yeah. So um, I think um, another role of influence of the library is to be the kind of the mid-level between the principals and the teachers. You're, you're, you have that whole school vision. And with that vision, you're able to help teachers form partnerships with other teachers. You're able to be the communication venue for uh, English teachers to understand what social studies teachers are doing or 10th grade these teachers to understand what 10th grade these teachers are doing. And, um, and that can be done in a very positive way. But what it does is build a school-wide focus that you have more time to do than the principals, certainly. Right. Right. Uh, and that is so much of an influence on the tone and climate and success of every student in the school and actually every teacher in the school. Yeah, good point, good point. Okay, so when you think back <clears throat> at when you were just starting out, um, like, did you start out that that kind of influence? No. no. Yeah. <laughs> so that's something you grow into. <laughs> yes. Was there, was there anything you would say that really was like a catalyst to helping you realize that? And Yeah, um, I would say that um, starting with a couple of successful collaborative units was one of the most powerful things I did mm -hmm. because it's much easier to build on success. So when we did a slam bam sophomore orientation unit that had real content and skills in it, and it was tied to the sophomore English curriculum, that was a great thing to make all of us feel good. And then I was able to see how it might roll out to other subject areas and all of that. And, and it was, you know, people had to get to know me right. as well. You don't walk into a, a school and, and automatically be a, a leader. <laughs> it's leading is by doing and by understanding who you're talking to and building relationships one at a time. I did have another advantage, which uh, it's harder to come by now. When I was first in the library, the whole nation was going through a school restructuring 
mm-hmm. emphasis. Mm-hmm. And so there were all kinds of conversations across the country about ways that we could reform school. Our particular school formed a restructuring committee. And uh, I volunteered first thing to be on that. But it was so neat because we decided the areas that we wanted to explore. And then each of us took that area and we did deep exploration. Now, the one I picked was different kinds of assessment. assessment, portfolios, um, graduation requirements, graduation by portfolio. And I did a deep dive into that. Well, then I became the expert in the school and I was able to share my expertise with the committee and with the larger school environment. And we were able to have substantive conversations that I was a natural part of. And that was a real good inroad into the, the basic ideas behind um, powerful education. Awesome. And how timely would that be to have that happen again right now? Yeah, yeah boy. <laughs> yes. No, I'm hoping by next fall, you know, things are, are back to face-to-face everywhere, you know, for people that what an awesome opportunity if they could start having those kind of conversations. Um, I actually am going to be writing an article about um, librarians in the fall. And and one of the things that I'm thinking about the most is uh, to take a strength-based approach. Mm -hmm. I hear on all of these listservs and comments, oh, we have such a gap. Our kids have been out of education for a year and a half and they there's so much they don't know and they're, and it's kind of blame the kids. But, um, but worse than that, it's saying they haven't done anything worthwhile for the last year and a half. And that's true. Our kids have been learning all kinds of things for the last year and a half. And they're going to bring those strengths to our schools in the fall. So as librarians, I think we need to step up as leaders and figure out how are we going to help kids identify those strengths? How are we going to know those strengths? And then how are we going to build on them? Yeah. Well, I have a year, year's worth of audio from librarians sharing what they've been doing during this time. So oh, yeah. There's a resource for you. So. Yeah, we've all changed. Yes. Just, and and yeah. even I went and found my article um, that I wrote at the very beginning, you know, when it was just like crisis, everybody's panicking. And I said, just look back, you know, find your yeah. social media posts or things you were doing in your calendar and look back to that and compare to what's happening right now, because we yeah. have come so far just so far it's like so much to be proud of so yeah all right okay well well barb i know that one big thing you've been working on um is the empire state information fluency continuum um so i would love to i heard about it when i recently spoke you know with some of the librarians and in, in one of the boces there and um, so i would love to hear from you if you could tell us about this this inquiry process and, and what you're doing with that uh, I'd love to, <laughs> since it is my passion. <laughs> um, my road to an inquiry process started with the research process uh, from the Brown Bears Brown syndrome. I've been working on this my entire career. And what I decided is that uh, really I needed to move on from a, almost a linear thoughtful but linear research process to a more cyclical process of inquiry. 
starts with questions and ends with questions and is totally engaging to students. Um, in 2003, I think it was, I developed a model of inquiry. It was based on a deep dive into um, educational research. So I uh, studied constructivism, I, I studied assessment, I studied all of the things that um, are involved, critical thinking skills, all of those are pieces of the model that I developed. So I've been working with that model for a number of years. When I was in New York City, we worked together, a team of um, outstanding librarians and I worked together to develop a continuum of the inquiry, mostly inquiry uh, skills that we thought were important for every grade level. Okay. Wow. And that was the first version of the Empire State Information Fluency Continuum, which I think we published in 2008, maybe 2009. Okay. Um, and it was adopted by New York State uh, School Library Systems wow. as the Empire State Information Fluency Continuum. 10 years later, in 2019, I recognized that uh, it really needed to be updated because so much in our world had changed. And um, I was fortunate that the School Library System Association recognized that need as well. And they asked me to work on that. So right after I quote unquote retired, I spent almost 24 uh, seven rethinking, reimagining the ESIFC. And uh, some of the changes that I uh, put into this new continuum, and I want to say that we did surveys of librarians throughout New York State. We did a lot of, of work, but then I pulled it all together and um, made the decisions. First of all, we added pre-K. Okay. Because so many schools were yeah. Yeah. went below kindergarten, so that was important. Um, I broke out from three standards to four, and uh, largely that was to highlight a standard on multiple literacies. Okay. So the first standard is really um, inquiry and design thinking, and that's another thing that I added mm -hmm. as a a sub indicator under inquiry because design thinking is so important and it wasn't in the previous version. Uh, the second is on multiple literacies. The third is on social responsibility, which continues to be extremely important. And the fourth was more on personal and independent learning. Um, and that is where I added another facet that I think is really important, and that is social and emotional skills. Because oh, I actually have done a deep dive in that, and I think there is no better place for us to enable kids to recognize their own social and emotional competencies and to build those up mm -hmm. while they're reading literature, while you're teaching. It's um, it's ripe for that. So I added that based on national standards. Um, and the idea of um, the digital literacy and inquiry was not strong enough. Uh, you can imagine in 10 years that had really strengthened. So I made sure to integrate both of those ideas and, and really 
there are particular skills that are important in the digital environment. And we, we need to be cognizant that our kids are getting a lot of information and doing a lot of their own exploration and learning in that environment. The idea of multiple literacies, I uh, decided to mostly focus that on, um, certainly on independent reading, but also on um, media literacy and visual literacy, uh, which we don't, nobody teaches kids how to make sense of the visual images that they see and make decisions about. Well, we, we can step up to that. And we certainly need to teach kids how to deal with media because they're receiving information through that sometimes more often than any other way. Um, and then one of the things that I did was um, develop graphic organizers for all of the priority skills for all four standards. So there are hundreds, <laughs> I don't know how many hundred, 200 or more. But graphic organizers are not worksheets. They are a way that uh, we can use an organizer to walk students through the thinking process of the skill that we that yeah. we are teaching, and um, so they become a, a think piece for the students during the independent practice phase of a lesson. And those are all available in Word downloadable and adaptable, however people want to build off of them. And I guess the final thing that I would mention is that we made the whole thing, and it's like a 500 page document. Um, we made it all accessible through a Creative Commons license. So anyone can pull down, have totally free access, consult, use, whatever. Okay, so for the listeners, um, I will have that link in the show notes, so you'll be able to click that link and, and go visit this awesome resources there. Um, so Barb, if, when a brand new librarian or someone who's just new to the idea of thinking about teaching this wants to look at it, how would, how would you recommend they get started? Like, what could they do at the first steps? Uh, that's a good point, because when you have 500 pages, it's yeah. a little hard. <laughs> Uh, so I would say the way to start is to look at your kids. Look at your school. What is it that would most empower your kids? Is there a big emphasis among your students? For example, if you have high school students, well, they're on social media all the time. So maybe the social responsibility or the media literacy piece is what you want to carve out. Maybe that's the most important thing. Um, one thing that I, I know we're all thinking about is the idea of diversity and equity and inclusion. Well, that's really in the social responsibility realm. And we need to teach kids to be empathetic. We need to teach them how to determine perspective and point of view. Maybe that's the, the piece that you slice out when you're working with social studies teachers and just offer them the opportunity that you can teach how to uh, determine point of view in a document or um, how to interpret a, a primary source, leading to the idea of inquiry and of understanding how other people are approaching uh, the same ideas that uh, in different ways. 
so I think my best advice is to um, figure out the slice that you want to start with. You don't have to do it all. Figure out where your kids are, the slice that will be most helpful to your teachers and kids, mm -hmm. and take full advantage of the um, skills and the graphic organizers, and just start building lessons and units around those. And what you'll find is that teachers, what I discovered is that when I would develop tools like graphic organizers, teachers would start using them. Hmm. And then I didn't have to teach those skills <laughs> and I could move on to something else. Yeah. But the point is the kids were learning those skills and, that, and that's ideal. Uh, obviously a librarian can't teach every mm -hmm. skill that kids need to know. Yeah. So it, it's a good way to build a partnership by taking a slice that makes a difference to the particular teachers and students you are working with. Good point, very good point. Oh, I, I, can I make one other point? Oh, sure. And that is <laughs> that um, I think we have the mistaken assumption that the only time to teach uh, skills to students is when they're doing a full inquiry project. And that is absolutely not true. Mm -hmm. um, I think about what you can teach that are really inquiry and deep reading skills when you're reading a story to second graders. When you ask them to look at the cover of the book and predict, what is this book about? Well, that's an inquiry skill. And so we actually need to recognize how much in our day-to-day -day work is actually right in this continuum and right within the realm of the kind of teaching that we do is a natural part of who we are. So don't think it always has to be a research unit or yeah. <laughs> nonfiction or anything like that. Um, kids gain so much just by engaging with text in any form and having the opportunity to share and think about it and build up their skills. Yeah, very true. This is part of the everyday things that we're doing. So that's that's true. All right. So Barb, over over your career, were there things uh, that you found were most helpful to you to help you keep learning and growing? What kind of things would you recommend to people? Well, I, I think the, the idea of keeping sharp by continuing to learn is the most important thing. In the last year, I've been exploring inquiry in a way I never had before. And I've uh, dug deep into the idea of what is deep reading? And what does that have to do with inquiry? And what are the deep reading skills that kids need to use at every phase of inquiry? As I said, <clears throat> I dove deeply into social and emotional skills. I didn't know a lot about those. So I found out about it and I did a lot of research to understand what I thought was the librarian's role in boosting the competencies that um, kids need to develop. So one way that I motivate myself to continue to learn because we're all overwhelmed is that um, I look for opportunities when I have to put that learning into action. Mm 
I would recommend, I remember as a young librarian, I started writing for professional journals. Oh, wow. And maybe it's just a blog or, or maybe it's something, but when you have to put your thoughts down and it's based on something you've learned, mm -hmm. then it cements it and you're able to build on it. Uh, so I think that's the main thing I recommend. Look for opportunities to share. It doesn't, it could be in a newsletter to parents. I mean, it doesn't have to be a national journal, but look for opportunities to explore new ideas, to try out new ideas, and then to share that with others because I think that's the way you keep yourself sharp mm -hmm. and you build expertise. Okay. Very good points. Well, Barbara, it's been such a pleasure talking to you today. So if, if any of our listeners want to learn from you and, and follow you, where would they find you online? Well, I'm not very good at the online environment. I'm trying, I'm trying. Um, certainly I have a Twitter account at Barb Stripling. Okay. Um, Facebook is Barbara.Stripling. I have an Instagram account. I never post to it. So mm -hmm. probably you're not going to see me on there. And I, I do have a column in uh, School Library Connection, if you're a subscriber, where I um, post editorials and resources on different aspects of teaching research. Mm -hmm. And actually, that has been my motivation this year for diving into deep reading, diving into SEL. Okay. It's a way that I'm keeping myself motivated and trying to share with yeah. others. And they also have um, those professional development units online, isn't that? They smart? do. Yes, I remember yes. seeing seeing you on some of those as well. So it yes. the members they are wonderful. Yes. So yeah. if you subscribe to that. You can look for Barb, Dr. Barbara Stripling's name, and you'll find some really good teaching um, on there as well. Yeah. But thank you so much for spending time with me today. It was a pleasure talking to you and and just learning more about the things that you're passionate about. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Laura. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.